Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is not Carl Drake, it's Roxanne Borneman, and I'm a member of this church. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or your economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We're currently worshiping both in person and online, and as of today, you may have noted, we can actually see each other's faces, which is lovely. Be sure to t subscribe to our church's newsletter for more information and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. And I do have a few announcements in your order of service. You'll notice an insert that brings your attention to the Environmental Action Group that is organized here with our church if you have an interest in learning more about it. Please read this and send your email to them. Additionally, our church office will be closed tomorrow and will reopen at 9 a.m. this Tuesday, March 22nd. Additionally, there's some information in the atrium regarding a survey that you're encouraged to complete regarding gathering information on transportation services in our community. Join us here in the sanctuary on Wednesday, March 23rd, from noon until 1 p.m. for an interfaith prayer vigil for Ukraine. The New Yorker Discussion Group 
referred to as Noon Swoon, will be meeting at 1 p.m. on Wednesdays from now through the 13th of April. After that, we'll resume the normal schedule. And then finally, today is our community focus collection for March, and our offering collected will be donated entirely to the Wausau Free Clinic. We're happy to have Jeff Todd here, who will be speaking a little bit later to tell us more about his organization. This really is a special first day of spring. This year's annual renewal allowing us to fully see each other's faces and it is wonderful to see all of your faces this morning. For a call to worship, I share these words of Teresa Cooley, UU minister. In this time of anticipated spring, let us allow ourselves to extend the anticipation to value the time of budding before blooming, of seeding before sprouting. This is a time of revelation, the revealing of that which is eternal, which we see every year, but still need to be reminded to see it in a new way. There is also the revelation of that which is new. Every spring we encounter something never seen before. It is the very newness which embodies hope and potential for the wholeness which is yet to be. Let us allow spring to unfold slowly so that we may appreciate the true mystery of rebirth and renewal. And I ask you to join with me in our chalice lighting, as our chalice flames and crackles next to me. It's a different chalice lighting this morning. I decided to change it up a little bit because of this special day. So please join me in these words. The hours of day and night are in balance. In honor of earth-centered traditions that celebrate this time of year, we observe that the flaming chalice holds the elements of the four directions, earth, air, fire, water, the lamp oil, the air that feeds the flame, the fire we light, and the chalice itself, the cup, the symbol of water. We light our chalice and reflect on the balance we seek in our lives the balance we seek in our hearts, the balance we seek in the world. And now I ask you to rise as you're able and join in the singing of our gathering hymn number 38, Morning Has Broken. Thank you. 
remain standing for our affirmation as found in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other and our doxology. seated. Now, as superheroes seem all the rage these days, I decided to channel two for today's story for the ages. But before introducing them, a little geography lesson. Russ, hopefully you'll appreciate this on where the story takes place. The Great Basin takes up a significant part of California, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, and almost all of Nevada. And what once was wetlands before continental plates shifted is now the largest cold desert in North America. Commonly referred to as the Big Empty, what little rain falls there is trapped, thus the name basin, in saline lakes, or it drains into part soil, or it just evaporates in the heat. None of it ever makes it to an ocean. And not surprisingly, Nevada gets the least amount of rainfall of any state in the Union. And that's where our first superhero, Carol, a fish biologist with the Federal Bureau of Land Management, qualified for hero status. Now, being a fish biologist in the middle of bone-dry desert land seems like a professional mismatch. But Carol envisioned a different picture from those first ones she took with her Pentax camera of Susie Creek in the late 1980s. Clearly, the Susie Creek Carol encountered was an ecosystem out of balance. But instead of bedrock and sagebrush, Carol saw a vision of what Susie Creek could be, a flowing stream, willows and sedges, and cutthroat trout. With the patience of Job and the persistence of Sisyphus, she went to work. Now, for more than a hundred years, cattle, sheep, and horses had been freely and heavily grazing the banks of Susie Creek. The result was very little to no water in the crack in the earth where a stream once flowed and it supported nary a blade of grass. Carol's job was to convince local ranchers, who had historically been extremely hostile to any BLM restrictions on land or water use. She had to convince them to try something new. And Carol's solution was simple, but brilliant. Don't allow overgrazing during the hot season when plants are most vulnerable. Now, after considerable Carol cajoling, the ranchers reluctantly agreed to follow Carol's recommendation and modulate cattle grazing pressure. By nature's calendar, 
it did not take long to see the results. Five years after stopping of unfettered hot season grazing, streamside plants were in abundance and they were spreading out across the floodplain, reclaiming hundreds of acres of previously barren gully. And then within five more years, Carol's annual photograph, every year she took a picture of what Susie Creek looked like. Her annual photograph captured a lens full of willows. And it took three more years for the initial appearance, appearance of that second superhero, a buck-tooth rodent who had been all but exterminated from the American West by the middle of the 19th century. Drawn from its isolated hiding places by the new growth of willows, its favorite food, Castor candidensis, the North American beaver, staked the claim to Susie Creek. The work of Carol, the first superhero, changed Susie Creek. The second superhero absolutely transformed it. By 2013, Susie Creek was the home to 139 beaver dams. By any measure of stream health, open water, water table increase, rebuilt floodplains, banks bordered by expansive growth of lush vegetation, life-giving support for a variety of aquatic and non-aquatic animal life, clear and clean water that just might welcome back Carol's cutthroat trout. The transformation that took place in the 25 years since Carol got rancher buy-in and the shorter period of beavers putting their teeth into it can only be called a miracle. So when you hear someone question the ability of people applying patience, perseverance, and trust in the regenerative power of nature to repair the damage we have done to the earth and restore the balance we yearn for. Tell them about Carol and the Beavers, real-life superheroes. And I want to give a little thanks to Ben Goldfarb, whose excellent book, Eager, the Surprise Secret Lives of Beavers and Why They Matter for the source of this morning's story. And if you want to know more about Carol, her stream resurrection, her stream resurrection story, and really see firsthand what it looks like, I encourage you to Google the YouTube video, Creating Miracles in the Desert, Restoring Dixie Creek. Carol didn't just restore Susie Creek, she restored a number of creeks, and there's this fascinating video about that happening on YouTube. Now, if you look in your order of service, you'll notice it doesn't say song children's song, it says song for all people, because I thought children were not going to be here today, and every time I listen to this song, I always think, this is a great song for all of us. So let's sing to one another our song for all people. Oh, um. 
I think patience, perseverance, and trust exemplify our next guest speaker, who is here today for our community collection. Jeff Todd is one of the original founders of the Wausau Free Clinic, and I'd like to invite him to come on up and talk about the great positive work that is going on here in our community. Welcome, Jeff. Good morning. Apparently the music is going to offertory is going to be after. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. I've been in your church and sanctuary on many occasions talking with your mission team about uh, immigration. Uh, I've played the handbells in here from my own congregation. I'm a member and elder at First a Presbyterian Church right across the street here. But it's a, especially a pleasure to be here to talk about the, the Wausau Free Clinic. Uh, we've enjoyed the support of this congregation since the very beginning, and it is such a blessing. I'd like to thank Roxanne for inviting me to come uh, give you a little a brief annual report on what we've been doing with the Wausau Free Clinic. Uh, Roxanne could have actually given it herself. She's been a volunteer with us for the last year and, again, has been such a blessing to uh, the folks that we uh, serve. Uh, so thank you, Roxanne. Uh, 2021 really has been a momentous year for the uh, First Presbyterian Wausau Free Clinic. Uh, despite the pandemic, we got all of our staff and volunteers immunized against COVID-19 very early in January of 2021. And we decided to open uh, for the general public on Thursday afternoons to serve anyone in the community who was low income and uninsured and in need of uh, basic primary health care services. We now have over 20 Wisconsin Department of Health Services registered medical volunteers working with us, including physicians, nurses, physician assistants, uh, social work and other folks. Uh, we're very excited. We also have had about a dozen medical students from the Medical College of Wisconsin with us over the past several years, and that, again, has been a, a real blessing. Uh, Dr. Jeff Oswald, many of you may know, is a Marshfield Clinic family physician. Dr. Oswald has been our medical director since the very beginning in uh, 2018. All services are offered at the clinic at no cost to the patient, including limited medications and labs. Our clinic is located at First United Methodist Church on 3rd Street, just two blocks away from here, uh, sharing temporary space with Catholic Charities Warming Center. As you may recall from my first visit with you, uh, we serve uh, initially the homeless population, and we've continued to do that for the past three years. Our clinic has been open now every uh, week since, except, Thursday, uh, except Thanksgiving and Christmas week, so we're open every Thursday afternoon. Appointments are available through a dedicated telephone line uh, or through our website. And for your convenience, uh, out in the uh, atrium is a, a, a brief display. You might be able to uh, see it when you uh, come out for uh, fellowship after the service. On the card, it's got our telephone number and our website. People can text, they can call, and we can get them into the uh, clinic. Although some people uh, just prefer to walk in, and, and we'll, take, we'll take them that way as well. Uh, during uh, the past year, we have seen between 5 and 10 patients on average at every Thursday clinic. And to our surprise, about 75% of our patients have been Spanish-speaking, which has surprised us but delighted us as well. This is primarily due to the fact that uh, many of the uh, Spanish speakers in our community work multiple jobs, but they offer no health benefits whatsoever. So they, they look to us for, for care. Uh, translation has been a challenge, uh, but we have managed with part-time interpreters, and because they have such special skills, we have been paying them. They're really the only paid uh, uh, folks on our staff. Everyone else is totally working as a volunteer in the clinic. 
As the pandemic subsides and word of mouth increases, we expect that our patient panel is going to increase. It now numbers in the hundreds, but we do expect, knowing how many uninsured low-income people we have in our community, that we will easily reach a patient panel of over 1,000 uh, fairly soon and in short order as word of mouth spreads. We received a grant last year from the Department of Health Services to help underwrite some of our clinic expenses, and we will continue to pursue outside sources of funding, such as the Impact uh, 100 uh, Greater Wausau grant, which we just applied for two weeks ago. Uh, we've also received support from the Green Heck Foundation and the Community Foundation of North Central Wisconsin, um, and we will continue to look to that. As I mentioned, all of our staff are volunteers, and our primary costs are associated with the rent, uh, office and medical supplies, pharmaceutical products, printing, advertising, and related expenses. And this, uh, these items are what we will devote the uh, community focus collection from today uh, with great appreciation and gratitude for your, your support and generosity. We also recently were adopted by Thrivent, who provided support and donated medical supplies, and I know this congregation participated in that, as well as First United and First Presbyterian. We've also been very lucky to be able to get VISTA and AmeriCorps volunteers working with us uh, through uh, various uh, organizations. Dr. Jennifer Benares, uh, a trained physician from the Philippines, worked with us for an entire year helping us get organized administratively. And we currently have Jatara Brown working with us from uh, the uh, AmeriCorps program. In the spring, we also achieved accreditation status at the bronze level from the uh, Wisconsin Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. And we are very excited to be planning to move into the Community Partners Campus facility at 364 Grand Avenue in Wausau in late summer or early fall when, when Myron completes the construction. Uh, we will be co-located with Neighbors Place, who is going to move, with North Central Community Action Program, with Catholic Charities, with Wausau Area Mobile Meals, Blessings in a Backpack, uh, North Central Healthcare is going to have an office in there, and then the free clinic. Uh, one final area of activity for the free clinic has involved partnering with the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service uh, this past year with the Hmong and Hispanic Health Network, uh, H2N, the uh, Hmong American Center, Asociación Hispana Americana, the Wisconsin National Guard, the Health Department, and other area health systems in providing COVID-19 and influenza vaccines to hard-to-reach and vulnerable minority populations through community outreach services. Many of the recipients are Hispanic and Hmong. We have administered over 1,000 COVID-19 and nearly 500 influenza vaccines in the past year alone through a dozen or more uh, pop-up clinics that were targeted to these minority populations who had language, trust, and, and other significant barriers to accessing care. Um, one other thing that we started this year was uh, COVID testing, and we've been doing that the last several months through uh, the support of the Department of Health Services. So as you can see, we've been busy this last year, and we are confident that 2022, 2022 will bring even more opportunities for providing essential health services to the most vulnerable and marginalized members of our community. And again, I would very much like to thank this congregation for your ongoing support from day one and for your uh, continuation of that. Uh, God bless you all, and uh, thank you very much.
I decided this morning to borrow from the winter solstice service, and this hopefully might be an ongoing quarterly observation of the cycles that we, we observe. And I put a unison reading in here that, again, we've done for the winter solstice service. I just changed the order a little bit of, of how we're going to do that. So I would ask you to read with me, but please stand and, and face the directions as it says uh, in, in this reading in the order of service. And first we start with the south, which hopefully, yeah, we don't have a lot of people who are not directionally challenged, so the south would be that direction. you got it. And we begin. Spirit of the south, spirit of fire, of noontime and summer, be with us through the heat of the day and help us to understand our desires. Warm us with strength and energy for the work that awaits us. And facing the West, spirit of the West, spirit of water, of evening and autumn, be with us as the sun sets and help us to reflect on our past. Flow through us with a cooling, healing quietness and bring us peace. And of the North, spirit of the North, spirit of earth, holding the seed of life through the long winter. Be with us in the darkness at this time of change. Round us in the wisdom of the seasons as we celebrate the spiral journey of our lives. And finally, the East. Spirit of the East, spirit of the air, of morning and springtime, be with us as the sun rises in times of beginning, times of new light. Inspire us with the fresh breath of courage as we go forth to new adventures. You may be seated. I ask you to enter into an attitude of meditation as I share the words of Thomas Rhodes in his meditation on the equinox. Over our heads, the great wheel of stars shifts. The spring equinox manifests itself. And for one precious instant, darkness and light exist in balanced proportion to one another. Within our minds, the great web of neurons shifts. New consciousness arises. And for one precious instant, experience and meaning exist together as revelation and epiphany. Within our hearts, the great rhythms of our lives shifts. A new way of being reveals itself. And for one precious instant, the nexus of the body and the seat of the soul truly exist as one. Let us give thanks for those times in our lives when all seems in balance, for those times are rare and precious. The equinox shall pass. The revelation may be forgotten. And our actions will not always reflect our true selves. But through our gratitude, we may remember who we are. Reflect on who we may become and restore the balance which brings equanimity to our lives. Now please take a moment for silent reflection on concerns or joys that weigh on or uplift us today.
Amen. Now let's join together in our meditation hymn. Number 352. You may remain seated. For the first reading this morning, I went to Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass that I'm sure many of you have read. And in her chapter entitled In the Footsteps of Nana Bojos, she wrote this. In his journey to the north, Lana Bajo found the medicine teachers. They gave him switchgrass to teach him the ways of compassion, kindness, and healing, even for those who had made mistakes. For who is not? To become indigenous is to grow the circle of healing to include all of creation. Sweetgrass in a long braid offers protection to a traveler. And Nanabozho puts some in his bag. A path scented with sweetgrass leads to a landscape of forgiveness and healing for all who need it. She doesn't give her gift only to some. When Nanabozho came to the West, he found many things that frightened him. The earth shook beneath his feet. He saw great fires consume the land. Sage, the sacred plant of the West, was there to help him, to wash away fear. Benton Banai reminds us that Firekeeper himself came to Nana Bozo. This is the same fire that warms your lodge, he said. All powers have two sides, the power to create and the power to destroy. We must recognize them both, but invest our gifts in the side of creation. Nana Bozho learned that in the duality of all things, he had a twin brother who was as committed to making imbalance 
as Nana Bozo was dedicated to balance. That twin had learned the interplay of creation and destruction and rocked it like a boat on a choppy sea to keep people out of balance. He found that the arrogance of power could be used to unleash unlimited growth and unrestrained, cancerous sort of creation that would lead to destruction. Nana Bozho vowed to walk with humility in order to try to balance his twin's arrogance. That, too, is the task of those who would walk in his footsteps. And a second reading. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. I, I thought I said readings when I started, but anyway, it, was, you know, it can be confusing sometimes. But I just... I'm going to share a short reading um, that... I've used a number of times before, and no matter what the occasion, no matter what we're celebrating, it seems like it's always appropriate because this is Norman Cousins' case for hope. And when do we not need to make space for hope? The case for hope is never rested on provable facts or rational assessment. Hope, by its very nature, is independent of the apparatus of logic. What gives hope its power is not the accumulation of demonstrable facts, but the release of human energies generated by the longing for something better. The capacity for hope is the most significant fact in life. It provides human beings with a sense of destination and the energy to get started. It enlarges sensitivities. It gives values to feelings as well as facts. Friends, please come forward. <laughs>
Well, I'm going to take the speaker, speaker's option this morning. Looking at my watch, I see that I am going to be doing an abridged message today. So let me just find where I want to start it and we'll get going. Just the, I had intended on going through a portion of this message dealing with earth-centered traditions and their approach to balance. We've had a fair amount of earth-centered message this morning already, so I'm going to skip most of that and pick up at the very end of that what I was going to say about earth-centered, our earth-centered sources, and uh, just begin here by saying that indigenous spiritual practice is generally not future-focused. It's not some esoteric philosophy. It has direct application to the now, and it has a firm foundation in balance. Its primary purpose is to ensure that this life will be good, which I really saw as an extremely good match for Unitarian Universalism. Now, I'm agnostic about spirits in rocks and trees, but I do believe in what I would call a collective spirit of the earth. I'm in accord with Native people thinking that it speaks to us. But our earth listening skills need work. It is trying to tell us it is losing its balance. And earth in balance puts life on it in peril. I will always be in the Norman Cousins camp. Norman Cousins was the author of that reading about hope. And I'll always be in his camp when it comes to hope. But we must get to work and get involved to help the earth regain its balance and to heal the earth sickness that we have done so much to cause. Now, in pulling my thoughts together for this message this morning, a second UU source beyond earth-centered traditions is the direct experience of transcendent mystery and wonder. And during my nursing school days, back in the dark ages of the 1970s, my brain was inundated with information from a variety of courses intended to prepare me for a career helping people maintain, regain, or manage their health. <clears throat> and the course that fired the most brain cells then and still is a source of wonder to me today was called Biomedical Science. Now, the title does not do it justice. It should have been called something like The Marvel That Is, or maybe one of my mother's favorite expressions, especially as she aged. Can you believe it? I experienced biomedical science as a course that should have been in a religious studies curriculum. At its core, the course was about how our parts fit together and work together. Now, I really do not know how it all got designed, but I can only call it divine. Yes, what a marvel it is. And at it, the center is balance. We function because billions of charged particles are constantly seeking balance, moving into and out of cells, trying to find equilibrium, a state of homeostasis. I love that word. 
Because they do this, our fingers feel, our eyes see, our tongue tastes, our lungs exchange air, our brain reasons, and our heart beats. When imbalance occurs within any, within any of the myriad of processes that seek to maintain a steady bodily state, internal alarms go off and additional effort is expended to regain balance. And beyond a point, the imbalance brings about breakdown that we recognize as illness. And prolonged or critical imbalance puts our survival at risk. Now, we do not need a deep understanding of self-function to, to know that we influence how well the divine design works. The care we take of the vessel we're given matters. I heard a wise person once describe life as an experiment of one. My perspective on it all is that each of us can increase our odds of a successful experiment, which you need to define for yourself. But it is essential to be mindful of balance and seek to practice it for the odds to work in our favor. We're designed for survival, and our ability to maintain and regain balance is central to that design, serving it well, often for a long period of time. But as Brian reminded us last Sunday when he brought Glenda Walker to life through her 1994 throwback sermon, the most prominent late 20th century UU theologian, Forrest Church, defined religion as our human response to the dual reality of being alive and having to die. That means that at some point, imbalance overwhelms us. Regardless of how mindful we are and how well we practice, we cannot escape the reality that eventually our bodies will be unable to maintain balance. We live most of our life with a barely visible final horizon stretched out at great distance from us. But each of us will face a time when our vision shifts from a far horizon to one that is clear and close. It is then that we transition our seeking, hopefully finding comfort in a grateful heart for the balance that has carried us this far. And the hope, there is always hope, that we will still find periods or moments of balance when pain eases and breathing calms. Four days ago, the oldest living member of our church family reached her final horizon. After 99 years and nine months of spreading sunshine, Elnora Beekler let go of her corporal balance for the last time. The freeing of the atoms that had been on loan to her for so long touches many of us deeply. And while it may be difficult for us to see it right now, 
balance still reigns in the universe. All is well. Elnora, some of those atoms are among us today, bringing smiles to our faces and gladness to our hearts. We are steadied by the knowledge that your spirit will always have a seat in your pew at the rear of this sanctuary. I ask you to rise as you're able and join in our closing hymn, number 17, every night and every morn. Depart today walking with humility in the footsteps of Nanabozo, seeking harmony and balance. Please be seated for the postlude. <laughs>